house of prayer. And that's what we sure need to be. Thank you so much for praying tonight. Let's sing this together as you're turning, if you will, to Genesis chapter 24. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. It is so sweet just to leave things in his hands. And things that we want to take control of, he can do it a whole lot better than we can if we'll just trust him. All right, Genesis chapter 24. Here's another one of these rich, rich chapters in this great book. And it's a long chapter and a rich chapter. We're going to divide it up into at least two messages. So uh, don't panic tonight. We're not going to try to cover this whole chapter tonight. Uh, but we're going to start looking tonight at the subject, A Bride for Isaac. A Bride for Isaac. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, this is kind of a major shift in the book of Genesis and uh, the first 11 chapters of Genesis deal with four great events, and we've covered those in detail. And then the last chapters, 12 through 50, deal with four great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we've been looking at Abraham now for several weeks, and it's kind of a shift here a little bit. And uh, we're going to begin to focus on Isaac, his son. And uh, so we're going to look here at this. You know, it's been said that three, there are three great events in somebody's life, the day they are born, the day they get married, and the day they die. And uh, really, the only one you have control over is the, is the one uh, when you get married. Some people don't seem to have a lot of control over that either. But uh, anyway, but that, those are the three great events. We're going to look here as Abraham is sending his servant to get a bride for his son. And I'll tell you what, you young people that are here tonight, marriage is such an important thing. And uh, fa the family is the backbone of, of, of society, really. And it's been so uh, under attack and so torn down. It's no wonder the devil is attacking the family. And uh, trying to make it where men marry men and women marry, marry women and all kinds of crazy things. I'll tell you what, God has defined marriage already before the Supreme Court ever had a go at it. And it's one man, one woman for one lifetime. That's what God intended. And uh, I know sometimes there are extenuating circumstances when it comes to the whole lifetime thing. Um, and, and sometimes things just can't be helped. But I'll tell you what, God's perfect will is for a man and a wife to have a marriage that's a picture of Christ in the church. And Jesus said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee to his bride. And this chapter here really is a wonderful picture of Christ and his bride. And so we're going to look at some of those things. We'll get more into that aspect of it next week, Lord willing. Uh, and, and boy, what a fitting time. It'll be Valentine's Day on the day next Wednesday night. And so a good time to be looking at that subject. But tonight we're going to begin this great study here of this chapter. And uh, let's jump right in here. The first thing we see beginning in verse number one is the servant is dispatched. Now we assume this servant is Eliezer. He's named earlier. Uh, he's named, I think it's in chapter 15, and uh, he's not named in this chapter, but we believe that's probably who it is, maybe an elder servant of Abraham's here. And uh, so look here with me, if you will, Genesis 24 and verse number one. <clears throat> the Bible says, and Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Let me just pause real quick to say, if somebody wonders why Abraham was so successful, that's the, that's the key right there. That's the secret. Not just for Abraham, but for anybody. Uh, sometimes people will look at somebody else and say, boy, I wish I had what they had. And uh, by the way, God doesn't look at success the way the world looks at it. 
The world says if, you are, uh, if you're a multimillionaire and drive the nicest car and have the nicest house and you're famous and, and you win American Idol or whatever, they, the world says that's success. No, that's not success in God's book. Uh, God, God has a different way of looking at things. And uh, if you want to be successful in life, you need the blessing of the Lord. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it. I'm sure not against money. And I'll tell you what, we have to have money to live. And thank God, some people have a lot of money and they use it for the work of the Lord. And that's fantastic. But I'll tell you, when somebody sets out just to make a whole lot of money, a lot of times with a lot of money comes a whole lot of headaches and a whole lot of sorrow. And uh, I could tell you, um, and I've, I've got in my office and I've mentioned it here before, but a whole bunch of statements from millionaires before and uh, talk about how miserable they were because they made all that money and that's what they put their confidence in. That's what they lived for. And it wasn't all that they thought it was. But here we find where Abraham was was rich in material things, but most of all, he was rich in spiritual things and God had blessed him. And that ought to be our desire tonight is to be blessed of the Lord. Verse number two, and Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. Now in 2024, that's a strange verse. And I mean, Hey buddy, come here, put your hand under my leg. But that, that was what the custom was back in those days. They wouldn't, whenever they were taking an oath, they wouldn't say, all right, put your left hand on the Bible and raise your right hand and take an oath and swear to tell the truth. What they would do in Bible days was they would put their hand under someone's thigh and apparently it was almost like a handshake, like it used to be. Um, it, it used to be a man's word was his bond and if you shook on it, then you knew you had their word on it. And so apparently that's kind of what this was here, just an unusual custom. But remember, this is thousands and thousands of years ago. We sure wouldn't do that today. If you ask somebody to promise you something, put your hand under my leg. It's, it's kind of strange. But that's just what they did back in those days. Now, verse number three, he said, And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Now remember, we know from the Bible, God is going to eventually give the land of Canaan to the Israelites and it's going to become the promised land. It's the land that God told and promised Abraham he would give him. But at this point, it hasn't yet been purged, so to speak. Uh, Joshua and them have not come in, obviously, yet. And they have not cleaned house and it hasn't become the inheritance of God's people. The, Can the land of Canaan, the land of the Canaanites, is full of idolatry. The Canaanites were heathen people. They were pagan people. They did not know the God of Abraham. And that's why he didn't want his son taking a wife of those people. And young people, can I tell you tonight, whenever you're looking for a wife or you're looking for a husband, uh, first question you ought to ask is, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And if the answer is no, you ought to strike them off your list right there. Shouldn't even be an option. I mean, doesn't matter how good looking they are, doesn't matter how rich they are, doesn't matter how good personality they have, uh, doesn't matter how much, how funny they are or how good of a time you have with them. I'll tell you what the Bible says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And somebody said it like this, if, you, if you're saved and you're a child of God and you marry somebody that's not saved, you're going to have in-law trouble because their father is the devil. So the devil's going to be your father-in-law. You don't want to get into that mess. And so you ought to never consider somebody who doesn't know Christ as their savior. He said, look, I don't want my son to marry one of these heathen Canaanites. And uh, he said, you, you need to go back to my kindred. He says in verse four, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son, Isaac. And the servant said unto him, peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. Now, just a couple things about these verses. Notice he says here in verse 5, he makes it very plain. He's asking Abraham, What if I go and I pick out one and I bring her back? Or, or I, I try to bring her back and I, I try to convince her to come and uh, she won't come. 
Notice here, the bride was not going to be able to be forced to come. He didn't say, okay, master, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll go and handcuff her and tie her up and gag her if I have to. I'm bringing her back. No, she had a free will. She had a free will. And did you know that in this story, uh, Rebecca as the bride for Isaac is a picture of Jesus and his bride. Again, we're going to get more into that. But God will not force anybody to get saved. You know, that's one of the tenets of, uh, of what's called Calvinism is that there are some that are ordained to be saved. There's nothing they can do about it. They're going to be saved no matter what. That's not true. Jesus didn't say you will. He didn't say you cannot come to me. He said you will not come to me. And uh, whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. Some of you may have seen that old picture. It was hanging in my grandparents' house, and I can still picture it hanging there in their living room. And that's uh, a picture of Jesus. Of course, it's not really him, and I don't think he looked the way this picture looks. But anyway, he's standing there, and he's kind of got his head down facing the one that's looking at the picture. And he's got his hand up, and he's knocking on the door. And the story goes that the man that painted that picture, he had a critic look at that picture to give him his honest opinion. When the man looked at it, he said, it's very well done. He said, it looks perfect, except for one thing. He said, what thing? He said, there's no knob on the outside of the door. He said, that's not a mistake. He said, that's on purpose because the door is like our heart. There is no knob on the outside. The knob is on the inside. The person has to open it. And I'll tell you what, tonight, if you're here tonight, you don't know for sure that heaven is your home. Jesus Christ is a perfect gentleman. He paid the price for all of your sins on the cross, but he will not kick the door down. He'll not come in uninvited. You have to open the door. But I'm thankful. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And he wants to come in. He wants to save you. But you're going to have to be the one that lets him come in. Also notice here, Isaac was not going to go back there. Uh, he said, Abraham said, Don't bring my son back there again. You bring her to him. And yes, Jesus is coming back in the clouds. But I'm telling you what, I'm glad he's bringing his bride to him from this earth when the trumpet sounds. And so now look here at verse number 7. The Lord God of heaven, is Abraham talking still, the Lord God of heaven which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and which spake unto me and that swear unto me saying unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send this angel before thee and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Notice the confidence Abraham has here. He says here, uh, God swear unto me, he made an oath to me, he said unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee. Notice Abraham's confidence was not just in his own belief. There's a lot of people that say, well, I'm just still holding out hope that things are going to, I'm sure everything's going to work out. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. You know what? Aren't you glad as Christians, we don't have to keep our fingers crossed. As Christians, we don't hope that fate smiles upon us as the world said. Hey, listen, no, we have more confidence than that. Abraham's confidence was not just in hoping that fate would smile down upon him. His confidence was not just hoping that everything would work out okay. He had the word of God on it. And tonight, you and I, as children of God, we can take some promises to the bank. That's why Christians can be calm in the storm. That's why Christians cannot have to fall apart when the storms of life come the way the world does. The world doesn't have any kind of an anchor. The world doesn't have anything to hold on to when the storms of life come and everything falls apart. They're just hoping, trusting the luck, as they say. We don't have to just trust the luck. We have the word of God where he said we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. We're not just trusting in happenstance. We're trusting in the word of God. And Abraham here rests his confidence on the word of God. Now look at verse 8. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee. There it is again. Then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. Boy, here's a, here's a powerful verse. A powerful picture here. You know, it's been said that the servant represents the Holy Spirit. And I believe you can certainly apply that. The Holy Spirit is going out and convicting people to draw the bride to Christ. But I'll tell you what, I believe the servant represents the soul winner too. 
as he's going out to get this bride. You know what God wants for us to do is he wants us to do the job of the servant to go out and to try to win other people to get them to be the bride of Christ as well by leading them to the Lord. And I want you to notice here, Abraham says, if you go out and you tell a woman, hey, hey, my master's son needs a wife and my master wants you to be that wife for him. And if you give her that proposition, if she turns you down and if she is not willing to come, if she absolutely refuses, you're going to be clear from my oath. I'm not going to hold you responsible for it. Did you know that's how we are as soul winners? I'll tell you what, as a, as a preacher, and I was talking to another uh, pastor in another state just a few days ago about this. He said, I feel the exact same way. And uh, I said, you know, when there's people that come to church and I almost know that they're not saved, even by they don't have a testimony of salvation, you know, I, I'll preach and I'll try to make the gospel as plain and as clear as I can. But it's such a heavy burden because I think, why don't they get saved? I wish I could go back there and they had a hinge on their head and I could open their head and pour in or open their heart and pour it in. But all I can do, I'm just a servant. All I can do is just deliver the proposition. All I can do is just deliver the invitation. And if they reject it, that's up to them. You know, in Ezekiel, it's the same thing that was said about the watchman. God said, I've set you as a watchman on the wall. And he said, if you, if you don't blow the trumpet and give the people warning, if they go and they die, their blood's going to be on your hand because it was your job to give them the warning. But if you blow the trumpet and you warn people and you say, hey, the enemy's coming, destruction is coming, if they don't decide to flee or if they don't decide to turn from their wicked ways and they don't decide to do what needs to be done for their life to be saved, their blood won't be on your hands. It'll be on their own head and you've delivered your soul. That's how it is. So not everybody's going to get saved. But God commands us, whether they accept it or not, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's just our job as the servant to go out and deliver the gospel and give them an opportunity to get saved. Some will receive it, some will reject it. But the ones that reject it, sadly, it's going to be their own fault. And we've done our part and we're going to be clear when it comes to the Lord. But woe be to the one that, uh, th that has to stand before the Lord. And I believe at the great white throne judgment, we're not going to be judged as Christians, but I believe we'll be spectators because the Bible says when Jesus comes back, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there's never going to be a time we're separated from him. So I believe we're going to be spectators. We're going to be watching. Wouldn't it be sad for somebody that did not know Christ? And we knew that and we didn't try to reach them, never even asked them about their soul. And once they hear those awful words, depart from me, I never knew you, for them to turn and look at us and say, you knew and you never told me. Well, it's going to be a sad thing and they'll have to go to hell, but their blood will be on our hands, I believe. So anyway, we're, we're like soul winners. We've just got to do whatever it takes to try to reach them and, and beg them to come and give them the gospel. But ultimately, it's up to them whether or not they receive it, just like it was up to uh, this, this bride to be, whether or not she was willing to accept the invitation. Now, verse number nine, and the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear to him concerning that matter. Now, this was serious business for everybody involved. It was serious for Abraham because he knew that he was getting to be an old man. And God had promised him that he was going to have some seed by this son, Isaac. So in order for that to happen, he's going to have to get him a wife from somewhere. It was serious business for Isaac. How would you guys like for an old man to be going out choosing your wife for you? I guarantee you, buddy, he was probably fasting and praying. Don't get an ugly one, please. Don't get an ugly one. I mean, man, it was serious business. He's going to have to spend the rest of his life with this woman. It was serious business for the servant. He had one commission from his master, and that was to go out and find a bride. And I'll tell you what, he was dead serious about this thing. And we ought to, we ought to be serious, too, about the commission we have from our Lord, our master, to go out and tell people about Christ. So the servant is dispatched. Then we see, beginning in verse 10, the supplies are delivered. Boy, I like this verse, verse 10. And the servant took 10 camels of the camels of his master. So he wasn't alone. I mean, he couldn't lead 10 camels by himself. So uh, he probably had other servants with him and, uh, and departed. 
Notice this, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nahor. Well, I like that. Abraham didn't just say, all right, servant, Eliezer, if that's who it was, I want you to go out and I'm telling you to go find a wife. Now get out of here, go. And, uh, and he had to lay out his own expenses. He had to go and, and he had everything. He had to provide all that was needed. No, he had the full backing and he had all of the wherewithal of his master to go out and get the job done. And folks, can I tell you, this servant was not going to be able to get the job done. There's no way he could have got that job done if he was dependent on himself and what he had. The only thing he had to offer was what the master had given him. And as we go out and try to get a bride for Christ, as we go out and try to witness to people, as we go out and try to tell them about the Lord, I'll tell you what, we've got all the goods of our master too. Jesus said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me. It wouldn't be logical for Christ to say, go out and witness for me without promising that power. I'm telling you what, Hudson Taylor was a great, great missionary from, Brit from England. He was a missionary to China, and he started the China Inland Mission, one of the greatest missionaries, uh, one of the greatest missionaries in history. And he made this statement. He said, we trust way too much, we focus way too much on methods and machinery and too little on the real power, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Man, I'll tell you what, we need the right methods. We need the right machinery. And everything that we use around here are tools to do that. But there's nothing on earth that can substitute for the goods of our master, which is the feeling of the Holy Spirit of God. We need that if we're going to go out and do the work of the Lord. And so he had everything delivered him from his master, everything he was going to need to go out and get this bride. Verse number 11, and he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. Now for you women, that might seem unusual. Why are the women going out to draw the water? I don't know if you saw it or not. There was some viral video going around, some woman that was like in her 20s. And I mean, she's crying a river because she says, I have to work 40 hours a week and I just don't even have a life. And I mean, she's just weeping. People don't want to work these days. That's why, it takes, that's why it takes 45 minutes at a fast food restaurant to get your food. They can't get anybody that wants to work these days. Boy, I tell you what, that woman ought to thank God she lives in 2024 instead of back in this day. Because in this day, it was the women that would go out and feed the animals and the women that would go out and water the animals while the men were not sitting around in a lazy boy eating potato chips and watching ESPN. The men were out trading and they were out doing their businesses and different things in town while the women were caring to all that stuff. We got it pretty good today, to be honest with you. And, uh, but anyway, so, so this was the time that the women would go out to draw the water. Notice here, he doesn't come in there just gangbusters and start just, uh, just going up to every woman he sees and, hey, hey, are you the one I'm looking for? Let me check you out. No, no, you're not the one. No, he goes straight in there, makes his camels kneel down and just waits. Boy, I'll tell you what, the Bible says, wait upon the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. If you're looking for a, uh, looking for a spouse, best thing you can do is wait on the Lord, brother. I'm telling you what. And, uh, but anyway, whatever you're looking for in life and whatever you, your need is in life, wait on the Lord. And they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, the Bible says. And so then, um, so, so notice here, he's, he's still relying fully on God totally relying on the Lord. He knows he doesn't have the wisdom to pick the right one and he knows what a big job this is. Now notice here in verse number 12, the supplication is direct. Man, he, he prays pretty specifically here. Verse 12, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, 
that I may drink, and she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. Now notice here, he didn't just show up and say, All right, Lord, now please help me. He didn't just pray some generality. He was specific in his prayer. He said, Lord, I'm looking for somebody. I can't afford to make a mistake. I want, and I'm asking you to let the one that you have picked out for Isaac do this and this and this. Well, I'll tell you, when we pray general prayers, if we get an answer at all, we may just get a general answer. The way most Christians pray, they wouldn't know if the prayer got answered or not. Lord, bless us all. Bless all missionaries. Bless the whole world. Amen. How do you know if we answered that or not? God is looking for some specific requests. And when you pray a specific request, you'll get a specific answer. And uh, specific prayers get specific answers. I think about some of the ones in the Bible. When Gideon was wondering, uh, he was a scaredy cat, remember? And the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Hey, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. <laughs> I picture Gideon looking around. Who are you talking to? <laughs> you know, I'm not a mighty man of valor. I'm threshing wheat behind the wine press because I'm scared of those guys over there. But God sees not what we are, but what he can make us. And uh, anyway, so, so God said, Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to deliver my people from the Midianites. Remember Gideon said, Lord, I'm going to put out a fleece and I'm going to set this fleece out. And if it's really you talking to me, if it's really you, I want you to make it wet on the fleece only. Let the dew be on the fleece only, but dry all the way around. That's a specific request, isn't it? Next morning he gets up, walks out there, feels the ground. It's bone dry. Picks up the fleece and wrings out a bowl full of water out of it. Now, that should have been enough, really, but he still wanted a little bit more. He said, okay, Lord, please don't be mad at me, but I'm going to ask you for one more thing here. He said, Lord, now this time, just in case that was an accident, he said, I'm going to leave that fleece out there. This time, let it be dry on the fleece and wet everywhere else. He walks out the next morning, puts his hand on the ground, rubs his fingers together, and man, his hand is wet from the dew. Feels of the, he feels of the fleece, totally dry. You know what? He prayed two specific prayers and got two specific answers. I think about Joshua. He's out there in the battle. He looks up and he needs more time. The sun's beginning to go down and he knows he needs more time to deliver God's people. And so Joshua looks up and he calls out to the Lord and literally uh, the Bible says he commanded the sun, stand thou still, stand still. Now the Bible says he called out to the Lord. So before he ever had the audacity to say, sun, stand still, he was calling to the Lord asking God to make the sun stand still because he knows he has no control over the sun, but God does have control over the sun. And the Bible says when he asked that, he got a specific answer. The sun for a whole day didn't even go down. You know, scientists look at the calendar, the world calendar for many, many years back, and they find that there's a day missing. And they don't know what it is. Well, if you know the Bible, you know what it is. Sun didn't go down for a whole day. God answered that specific prayer. What about Elijah? Elijah didn't just say, well, Lord, I pray that you'll do something to show these people you're God. He prayed specifically, Lord, I've got this sacrifice here. Lord, these prophets of Baal and, and your people Israel, they need to know that you're the real God. Send the fire. You know what? He prayed for fire and he got fire. Specifically, God sent fire from heaven. I love reading about D.L. Moody, one of the great, great, great preachers of years gone by. D.L. Moody was holding a great crusade during the Chicago World's Fair. And uh, one morning he needed a whole bunch of money. And this was back in the 1800s. He needed $3,000. That's still a whole lot of money uh, for most people. But I tell you what, for him, that was a ton of money back in the 1800s. And uh, he didn't have time to go out and try to raise the money for this big crusade. So he knelt down and uh, he prayed and said, Lord, you know, I need $3,000 and I need it today. I don't have time to go out and get it. I'm too busy preaching, trying to win people to Christ. Please give me that $3,000. Specifically asked him for that amount. He walked out of the house. He was getting ready to preach, and as he stepped up, as he was getting ready to step up to the pulpit, 
a lady started coming down the aisle of the auditorium where he was preaching. Well, he had ushers at every aisle to keep that from happening. So the lady said, I've got to see Mr. Moody. He's, and the usher said, no, ma'am, you can't do that. He's about to start. You can't do that. So she went around and tried another aisle. She wouldn't be deterred. And that guy said the same thing. Then she went up to the side of the platform, a back hallway or whatever, and the guy that was watching that hallway thought she was on the program and supposed to sing, so he let her go by, and she walked straight up to him and handed him an envelope. He said, thank you, ma'am, and uh, too busy to look at it, crumpled it, put it in his pocket, went on ahead and preached. Souls saved and lives changed. He went home and he was sitting at lunch, and he remembered that envelope. Reached in his pocket, opened the envelope, and I could probably ask anybody in this room that has not even heard this story, and you could probably tell me what was in that envelope. Three thousand dollars story is told that cyrus mccormick the one that invented the mechanical reaper his wife is the one that uh, she was a great christian lady and wife of that businessman and she woke up that morning and just so happened to be impressed upon her heart that dl moody might need some money for this big crusade and so she called her maid and she wrote a check for a thousand dollars said here i want you to take this and then as the maid was leaving she said no i i think he may need more than that so she ripped that up and wrote one for two thousand dollars then she thought you know no I think he might need even more than that. So she wrote one for $3,000. And it was then that she called the maid. And she said, here, take this to Mr. Moody. But then as the maid was going out, as the story goes, she said, or no, she said, take this and put it in the mail. But as the story goes, she said, you know what? He may need that today. Just let me take it myself. And she went down there and gave it to him. And he needed that $3,000 that day. And he got it because he asked specifically for it. You know, we can pray, Lord, meet my needs. But I tell you, I know by experience, when you begin to pray specific prayers, you praise the Lord a whole lot more when he comes through with specific answers. Robert Sheffy was an eccentric man, circuit riding preacher up around the, the uh, Appalachian Mountains, Kentucky and West Virginia around that area. They said he really wasn't that great or talented of a preacher, but he was a mighty man of prayer. And it's told that he would pray these specific prayers and pray that back then they had what was called steals, but they weren't moonshine steals. It was legal back then. It wasn't illegal, but he hated alcohol. He knew how it destroyed homes. So he would pray specifically that God would destroy those things. And uh, so there was one particular Creek where there was three of them and uh, three steals there close to where he was preaching. And he prayed specifically. He said, Lord, I want you to please destroy every one of those steals. And they said that one by one, the first man, uh, he was in great health. The guy that owned that steal, he ended up getting sick and dying just like that unexpectedly. The second one, there was no trees even around, but a huge tree was picked up by a storm and dropped right on that thing and destroyed that steel. And then the other one caught fire and it burned down. All three of them destroyed because of one man's specific prayers. Hey, they said that happened about 25 times in his lifetime, that he would pray specific prayers like that. I could go on and on. Tom Williams, uh, Tom Williams, he, he wrote the book and ha they had the video about his wife got spinal meningitis or bacterial meningitis and lost her mind and her ability to walk and everything. And it was just astronomical medical bills and it portrays in that movie called twice given for God's glory he would get on the elevator and uh, and as he was on the elevator the door would close and he would say father it's Tom I need such and such amount of money and whenever he would get down to the floor the door would open and somebody from a church was standing there true story they would hand him an envelope and say brother Williams we just felt like burden we, we were just burdened that God laid on our pastor's heart to take up an offering that you might need it he would open the envelope and it was the exact amount he had prayed for now, the exciting thing about that is he prayed right then, but God had already made the check out before. <laughs> God already knew in advance what he needed. I mean, I'm telling you, I, it's exciting to me to read and, uh, about men of prayer like that. How many answers to prayer do we have like that? We may have more specific answers to prayer if we'd pray more specific prayers. 
And that's exactly what Eliezer did here, or this servant did. He prayed and said, Lord, when she comes, I want you to do this if it's, if it's the right one. Now verse 15. And it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. Now, I'll tell you what, some pretty good signs right here already. I mean, she's in the family, and, uh, and here she is, very fair to look upon, and she's filling her pitcher. Some pretty good signs already beginning to come to pass here. Now, folks, the truth is here, the Bible didn't have to include that she was very fair to look upon, but it did. There's nothing wrong with being pretty, nothing wrong with being beautiful. It's not, it's not essential, but there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the old Puritans thought that, it was, they thought that being beautiful was of the devil. But I'll tell you what, there's a whole lot of beautiful uh, people out there in the world. The devil gets a whole bunch of them. And by the way, uh, some of you young ladies, don't, don't try to live up to what you see on social media. That's not real. I mean, there's a whole lot of suicides and depression and stuff going on from people trying to be something that they're not. And uh, what you see on TV is not, you see, some of those, uh, you see some of those actresses and actors and stuff whenever they're not all made up. And I'm not against makeup. Every bar needs a coat of paint every now and then. But I mean, anyway, you ladies don't get mad at me. I'm just kidding, okay? But, but if you see them without that, they look like Frankenstein or something. I mean, it, it's unrealistic expectations. And somebody said, beauty is only skin deep. My brother said, yeah, but ugly goes all the way to the bone. But anyway, you, you don't... It's not vitally important, but there's nothing wrong with it. It's not the devil that made beauty. God's the one that made beautiful sunsets. God's the one that made beautiful flowers. God's the one that made beautiful mountains. Nothing wrong with being beautiful. And, uh, and so here we find that, but let me just say this. Don't focus just on being beautiful outwardly. They say, as they say, pretty is as pretty does. And, uh, and, and there, it's, it's so sad. The Bible says uh, a fair woman as a jewel of gold in a swine snout. So is a fair woman, which is without discretion. There's a whole lot of so-called beautiful women that are out there, but they're ugly on the inside. And I'll tell you what, that's like sticking a diamond ring in a pig's nose. It just doesn't fit. doesn't fit. And so if you're, out, if you're beautiful outwardly, that's wonderful. But I'll tell you what, the Bible says in Proverbs 31 about the virtuous woman, favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And uh, here was a woman, young woman here that was not just beautiful outwardly, she was beautiful inwardly as well. And so in verse 17, and the servant ran to meet her. And said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. Now, he's throwing out some bait here. Remember his specific request? Lord, the one that you've chosen, help her not to just give me some water, but offer the water for my camels too. So he's going out here and asking her for water, whether he's thirsty or not. He's trying to put some bait out there to see if she's going to be the one. And look at verse 19. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. I can just picture the servant's heart starting to pound a little bit. He's saying, oh my, things are starting to look pretty good. This is what I asked for. Could she be the one? Imagine the joy that's building up in this servant as he begins, as, as she asks this. Now look at verse 20. Whether you know it or not, this is an amazing verse. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again under the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. You ever heard the statement, it's easier said than done? Well, that's easier read than done. We read over verse 20 in just a couple seconds. She ran again into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And then we move on to verse 21. Did you know that a thirsty camel can drink up to 30 gallons of water? One camel? He had 10 camels. So when this girl offered, it wasn't just some kind of a nice thing where he had a little kitty cat and she gets a little bow. Here, kitty, 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 here's just some water. She's talking, talking about these huge pitchers that weighed 
tons. I mean, they, not literally tons, but I mean, they made weight a lot. They weighed a lot back in those days. And here she is willing to bring possibly 300 gallons of water for those camels. I mean, that, that's an amazing thing. No wonder he asked specifically for that. Any young lady that would be willing to do that, I mean, that would be a clear sign from God. And she also is a good worker. You know that. And so, man, what an amazing thing here. God's beginning to see, or God's beginning to reveal to him, hey, this one just might be the one. Verse 21, and the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. The servant knows things are looking good, but he's going to continue to wait on the Lord. I tell you, when things begin to look up in our lives, we shouldn't stop praying then. Hey, we ought to keep waiting on the Lord. Pray in the good times as well as the bad times. Now, verse 22, and it came to pass as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room, excuse me, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said moreover unto him, We have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. <laughs> hey, the servant acknowledged, or I'm sorry, uh, Nahor, notice here, uh, notice Nahor, he's the brother of Abraham. We've already found that out. Now remember what the commission was back in verse number four. He said, thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Now notice the pieces beginning to fall together here. Not only is she beautiful, which I'm sure was a plus, for, especially to Isaac. <laughs> Not only was she willing to draw water for his camels, which is what he asked for, but now he knows, no matter how pretty she is and no matter how much water she draws, if she's not of his kindred, it's over because she's got to be of his kindred. Now he finds out her dad is Abraham's brother. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, business is beginning to pick up here. And uh, how, somebody might say, well, oh, man, it just so happened that the first woman he saw coming up there. No, it didn't just so happen. How did this happen? We'll close out with this. Let's just look at three more verses and we'll be done tonight. The submission was decided. Look at verse 26. And the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. He acknowledged why all this was coming together. You know what? He could have sat down and said, boy, oh boy, I'm the best servant ever Abraham ever had. Man, Abraham knew what he was doing whenever he gave me this job and not somebody else. Boy, I'll tell you what, he could have given Jim, Bob, or Bubba this job. They would have done as good a job as I've done with it. Hey, man, I came just to the right one at just the right time. I prayed the right thing. Man, now here I am. I know how to win friends and influence people. No, no, no. He bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. And I'll tell you, that's what God is looking for. When God uses us to do something, none of us have any right to puff out our chest and say, look at what a job I did. Hey, any glory ought to go to God. Remember John the Baptist? He was the most famous preacher of that day. If they had preaching conferences, he'd probably been the one preaching in that day. If people wanted their scrolls signed, they didn't have Bibles, they had scrolls. And he'd probably been signing scrolls. I mean, man, he was the most popular preacher. He's out there by Jordan preaching and baptizing people. Crowds are coming to him. But you know what he said about Jesus? He must increase, but I must decrease. And when Jesus walked by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And his disciples that were right there followed Jesus and took off. And we never find where John the Baptist got mad about it. We never find where he got jealous and where he said, Oh, man, I thought those guys would stay with me. There they go. Oh, no, he knew why he was there. And he knew it wasn't because of his nice dress. The guy was wearing camel skins. He knew it wasn't because of his fancy dining. The guy cracked open locusts and dipped them in honey like a Cajun at a Louisiana crawfish boil. I mean, he, he, he wasn't some kind of a stunning figure. He knew who the glory belonged to. It belonged all to the Lord. 
And that's why he said he must increase, but I must decrease. Oh, God, help us no matter what we do for the Lord to get back to realizing that it's not us that does it. It's all him, and he deserves the glory. Now, verse 27, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. Notice this right here. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Here's the message for tonight right here. How do you find God's will? Sometimes people ask me, and I'm glad they want to know. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? How do I know if I'm supposed to go to this place? Or you young people, how do I know who I'm supposed to marry or if I'm supposed to go to college or this or that? I'll tell you how you know the will of God for on down the road is just staying in the way of God today. Doing what God tells you to do right now. And I know we all want to know the answers. We'd all love to know right now what's ahead. But God just says, look, focus on right now. Focus on right now. Be in the way. Not in the way where we're, where we're keeping God from doing what he wants to do. There's a lot of people that are in the way. God can't do what he wants to do because they're in the way. But, oh, I'm talking about being in God's way, doing the way of the Lord, walking in the way of the Lord, and doing God's will one day at a time. You know what? I never dreamed for one second that I would be pastoring, period, let alone right here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I just thank God that as I tried to live for the Lord one day at a time, God took me. Well, as my dad, I just, let me just say it like that. If my dad had not been in the way of the Lord, answering God's call to go into evangelism, if Pastor Doug McCormick had not been in the way of the Lord and going by faith with $20 in rolled up pennies to start a church in Dothan, Alabama with nowhere to meet, nowhere to live, hey, if those two men had not been in the way of the Lord and then my dad went to sing at that church, one of the first churches we went to, I never would have met my wife. And all the different things that have happened, I'm thankful there were some people that were in the way. And boy, I'll tell you what, anytime you look at somebody's life and what, where they are in life, it's because they decided, if, if God's blessing them and they're in the will of God, it's because they decided one day at a time, I'm just going to be in the way of the Lord. You young people now, you don't have to know who you're supposed to marry right now because you're not going to get married today. You don't have to know where you're supposed to go right now. You're not going there today. But I'll tell you what God does want for you to do today. You know for a fact being in God's way is reading this Bible today, praying today, obeying your parents or whoever's in charge of you today. And doing your, doing your work at school and all that the way God wants for you to do. I'm telling you what, we need to be in the way of the Lord. That is the key. He stayed in that way. Remember Ruth? Oh, man. Ruth thought her life was over. Her husband was dead. She thought she'd have to live and die a widow there in the land of Moab. Oh, but she just stayed in the way of the Lord. And when Naomi said, just leave me and go back to Moab, I'm going back sorrowful to Bethlehem. She said, no, where you go, I'm going. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. You know what she was doing and didn't even realize it she was being in the way of the Lord and because she was back there in Bethlehem was a man named Boaz and they were going to fall in love and become the great grandparents of the great King David all because she stayed in the way of the Lord one day at a time oh man I'll tell you what young people middle-aged people older people there's no better place to be than right smack dab in the middle of God's will and that happens by doing it one day at a time last verse right here verse 28 and the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things now wait a second at this point you can understand her running back excited if the servant had said, hey, I've got a nice eligible bachelor that you might be able to marry. I've got a tall, dark, and handsome man that you might be able to come back with me. At this point, he's never even mentioned anything to her about his mission. He never even told her, hey, I'm here looking for a bride for my, my master's son. Maybe she's excited because of the golden earring. Maybe she's excited because of the, uh, of the bracelets he's put on her hands. And she's thinking, man, I'll tell you what, this guy's hooking me up right here. But I'll tell you what, the best is even yet to come. She was about to be the bride of Isaac, and their son would be Jacob, who God's people are named after, who would become Israel, and she didn't even know it. 
Folks, I'm telling you what, it's a happy day in a Christian's life when we begin to get excited about God, not just for the benefits he gives us and not just for the gifts he gives us, but we get excited about it for who he is. That's why Job was able to make it. If Job had loved God only for the things that God gave him, that's what the devil accused him of. If Job had only loved God because he was rich and because he was healthy and because he was popular and all that, hey, listen, he would have washed out whenever all those things were taken away. But when all those things were taken away, Job was able to say, the Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Why is that? Because Job loved to learn God for who God is, not just because of what God gave him. And that's where we need to get in our lives. We get excited about God because of who he is to us, not just because of what he gives us. Just some thoughts tonight from this wonderful, wonderful story. And Lord willing, we'll pick it back up later on. Let me encourage you tonight, wherever you are in your life, let's just decide today we're going to be in the way of the Lord. And if we'll be in the way, the Lord will lead us and direct us where he would have us to go one day at a time. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for this great story in the word of God. I pray, dear Lord, you'll help us to be like this servant. Help us, Lord, to go out. And though we can't control whether people trust you or not, help us to go out like the servant did and just to make the invitation known. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to faithfully do the will of the master. Help us to rely and depend on your power, not our own. Help us to stay in the way of the Lord one day at a time. Lord, I pray these young people 10, 20 years down the road, if you tarry your coming, that they'll still be right smack dab in the middle of God's will because one day at a time they just decided to be in the way of the Lord. Lord, I pray that tonight you'll please move in our hearts in a great, great way. And I pray you'll help us tonight, Lord, to determine and decide tonight that we're going to live for you, come what may, in Jesus' name. Amen. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if God spoke to your heart tonight, these altars are open.